millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Zoe Gotto is a journalist and author covering travel and music. She's written features for National Geographic Traveller, Times Travel, GQ, BBC Travel, and Lonely Planet. She's also the author of two books, including Elvis Style, From Zoot Suits to Jumpsuits. And it's fair to say that this book is the culmination of many years of adoration for the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. This is the latest episode of The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Zoe herself says that somehow everything from fashion to food always comes back to Elvis. Let's join Zoe now as she shares the story of how her love for Elvis began. So my story starts, as all good stories start, with Elvis Presley. Fantastic. Um, despite the fact that we're both born on the same day, we're both born on the 8th of January. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it's fate. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a household where Elvis just wasn't on the radar at all. Um, so we didn't listen to him as I was growing up. My parents weren't fans at all. Um, but then I had this moment. I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. <laughs> Classic. Um, <laughs> um, while I was at university. And um, I was flicking through a magazine. I've always loved print media. So I was there flicking through a magazine and I came across, it must have been some kind of anniversary for Elvis because there was a big feature on Elvis in the magazine. Um, and I saw a picture of him and it was like being hit by a bolt of lightning. Wow. I still really, really remember the moment. And I just thought, wow, this is the most visually stunning person that I've ever seen before. <laughs> um, and from that moment, I kind of went all in. Within a couple of weeks, I'd brought myself a ticket to fly out to Memphis. Oh, wow, um, that is keen. Yes, it was yeah, the first wow. time, I think it was the first time that I'd actually left Europe. It was certainly the first time I'd ever been to America. Um, and I went over there and visited Graceland and I ended up writing my university dissertation on Graceland, um, which in a way, 
became the first draft of the book that I wrote more recently, Elvis Style. Um, but it was also the moment where I just really fell in love with writing and I, kind of, I found my thing at that point because I had this kind of quite broad range of interests. Maybe I had an, an idea that if I focused in too much that I would miss writing about the things that I really enjoyed, um, which were quite random. So it's kind of folk culture and I play the banjo and it's no mid-century design and... Um, I don't know, interesting, quirky people that I interviewed, I kind of maybe had this idea that if I specialised too much at that stage that I'd be giving these other interests up. But I've actually since found that you can easily weave all of these strands into it because travel writing is really just writing, a lot of the time it's writing about the culture of a destination or sometimes the counterculture of a destination, mm -hmm. which is an interesting one. An early Zoe still doing her degree and, and comes across this striking young American gentleman, in this case, Elvis Presley. And you straight away, you book a flight, you're on your way to Memphis, Memphis effectively before you know it. And you go to, you say you go to Graceland for the first time. And I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I wouldn't say, I probably shouldn't say this in front of present audience, but you know, I myself until about a year ago, didn't really get the Elvis thing. Mm -hmm. I knew he was a, you know, a very very successful guy good singer a hell of a kind of showman and all the rest of it but it was also quite a normal dude right he served in the army and he like he had a very very average upbringing let's say I've been to his childhood home and it's yeah. fair to say it's absolutely nothing special at all but then you know fast forward 30 years and he's living in Graceland and this place is it feels magical and I it's such a weird thing to say and it's a bit of a cliche but there is something special about about being at Graceland and yeah I was there about this time last year and there is something very weird and very wonderful about walking around this place where you know the king lived and maybe you could share a couple of experiences as somebody who'd maybe never been to America before to suddenly go and be walking around the the former home of of Elvis what was that like for a young Zoe? Um, it was amazing actually before before I touched down in Memphis um some friends were saying to me you're going to America why are you going to Memphis? you know <laughs> right. why don't you go to New York why don't you sure. go to LA um which are the more traditional routes into America but I had a feeling as soon as I touched down in Memphis I thought oh, I was right this place is really cool and actually every time I touch down in Memphis I still <laughs> oh, feel totally it's right. a place that has such a strong identity and 100%. such a strong culture to it um, and then when I got to Graceland it just totally blew me away I thought it's such a creative and such an expressive place and it's kind of it's often portrayed um, by people as being like this kind of super kitschy sure. in really bad taste um, kind of lavish palace but it's not it's not at all um, parts of it Parts of it remind me of my nan's house, really. You know, parts of it are very of its time. It's very kind of 50s, 60s. It reflects the era. Um, but other rooms, such as the Jungle Room, which is my favourite, yeah, right. just like pure creativity. And it's so fun. And it tells you so much about Elvis, the performer, but also Elvis, the person, 
in private. family man effectively right he was yeah. he was just a normal dude for a lot of his life as well I think it's fair to say yeah and a lot of Graceland a lot of it is kind of fun and remarkable but a lot of it is um actually quite normal I mean the squash court isn't normal but the uh but parts of it absolutely are and your your nan sounds like a very cool lady if she's anything like Elvis <laughs> she was but, and, and you play the banjo that's also a little bit I mean you t- talk a little bit about counterculture and stuff and banjo is obviously a phenomenal instrument but it's not it's not the typical thing that somebody might play so how did that come about started about seven years ago never played an instrument oh wow so, oh yeah so really in at the deep end with a banjo yeah yeah absolutely and um I decided I really like country music and I like the twang oh, of the banjo there it is. There it is. so I decided so I took lessons up at um Cecil Sharp Centre in Camden sure. which yeah, is yeah. like an English folk um center and so I took lessons there on Saturday mornings and um yeah I just really love it and um we might talk a bit later about I did a trip to Tennessee recently which was looking at Appalachian culture mm-hmm. and um the banjo obviously features heavily oh, in Appalachian absolutely. culture but has its roots in Scottish Irish heritage so all of these kind of different interests all come together often Fantastic. We will absolutely t- uh, touch on that Appalachian, Appalachian culture and the banjo a little bit more. Let's now kind of return to where we were. You know, you're, you're getting into the industry. You're start. I think it's fair to say you're starting to realise that travel writing could be a career. It's a kind of amalgamation of, as you say, music, food, culture, landscapes, all of these phenomenal places that kind of define the identity of a place. And writing about it is absolutely a, a career. And long, long may it continue. Hope if only for the if only for the benefit of Journey Magazine. Um, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your kind of your first jobs in the industry, what you what you got to see, where you got to travel to, what you got to write about. So my first gig was for Foodism magazine when I was out in Memphis um, researching for my book. And I was doing a piece on the barbecue scene there. Um, so I was looking at the history of barbecue um, and kind of recent changes, new restaurants, food trends that were happening there. Um, but I also, this kind of, this happened by chance. I didn't get a kind of foot in the door because I was there as a journalist. Um, I just turned up to a service at Al Green, as in Al Green, the soul singer. Of course, of course. Um, he um, became a reverend a couple of decades ago, opened up um, his own church in Memphis, and you can go there on Sunday mornings, it's a really long service, but it's worth sitting through. Sometimes it can run for between three and four hours. Wow. Service. Um, so we went along to it and um, Al Green was there and he was preaching and there was a full band behind him. It was kind of incredible, but because it's such a long service, um, we started out and there were people kind of sat in most of the pews and by the end of it there was like a handful of us there were about 10 of us <laughs> and still sat in the church and um and then Al Green said um you can all join us you can join the congregation for lunch um come on back so, Amazing. so we went out with Al Green Yes, we went with the congregation and I sat at a table with um, his nieces and I was chatting and Al Green and um, one of his helpers sat, he had his meal on a stage and he was in his full robes and his sunglasses inside and he (laughs) served us 
barbecue spaghetti. Um, and then as I was leaving, I went over to say, you know, thank you so much for, for having us. And um, he clutched my hand and he said to me, I love you. <laughs> Whoa, made a good impression. <laughs> I said, and I love you too. And I walked out, and it, <laughs> but I really meant it because um, <laughs> I love Al Green. And I walked Amazing. out and it was just a really, really kind of emotional experience. It was utterly bizarre that I had been holding hands with Al Green and eating barbecue spaghetti with him. But it was one of those kind of chance encounters. And I'm so glad I sat out the whole of the service so that I could um, <laughs> have that moment with him. Good and things was, come to those who wait. Exactly. And if you are visiting Memphis, he um, he's still, it's a bit hit and miss now. He's not there every single Sunday, but he still often will turn up at his church in Whitehaven. Fantastic. So you're eating, I mean, I don't want to spend too long talking about barbecue because my mouth will be my mouth's pretty much watering already and it's it's nearly lunchtime for me as it is and it's bringing back some some wonderful memories as I say I was in Memphis about I guess about 10 months ago and I'm not sure my arteries have recovered to be honest folks if you've ever had the chance to sample kind of Memphis barbecue which Lord knows is very different to all the other bar barbecues. I know there's a bit of a, a bit of a rivalry almost between all the different areas and all the different barbecues, but Memphis barbecue, it is not very good for you, but my Lord, it is tasty stuff. And I mean, I just thinking back, I think, was it Ron, rendezvous? Is that the one? Rendezvous. Yeah. Right it's in the middle point. of town there. And I think I went there about three times in eight days. Um, traveling with a mate, Dave. Hi Dave, travel Dave, if you're listening. Uh, that was, that was some good eating great yeah, times barbecue is next level i think it's fair to say you're a you know a united states you're an american specialist um did that kind of come about all because of elvis because of your first trip to memphis have you always been an american specialist is it fair to say yeah and the root of it is my love for elvis america for me is that sweet spot i think like a lot of people in the uk i grew up with a lot of american culture so TV and films and music um so it feels familiar um obviously I can speak the language as well which is <laughs> handy um but it's also not my culture so there's enough of a kind of critical distance that I can go there and kind of see the weird and wonderful aspects of America because it's kind of at arm's length from me um so, so you're still almost like the outsider you're still kind of objectively looking at it yes yeah exactly so for me america's always um yeah it's always been the sweet spot for me and it's um it's somewhere that's very rich with quirky stories as well and i like a quirky story so you know we're talking about becoming a u.s specialist you've obviously been involved in it for for many years now um and you're still active, you know, you're still going out there. Obviously, Zoe was out there recently, folks, for Journey Issue 4, and we can get into that shortly. But you see you're in Tennessee recently for the Appalachian kind of culture to write a story about that. Perhaps you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I went out there over the summer. Um, I really, really loved this trip, actually. It all came together at ridiculously short notice. They always do the best ones. <laughs> um, but Nat Geo Traveller had a slot for a first person piece um which was a big piece it was 10 pages so it was a real kind of deep wow. dive into a destination um and they asked me is there anywhere that you've always wanted to write about which is like 
the dream email. From <laughs> um, and it took me about 10 minutes to reply because um, I've always wanted to do a really in-depth piece about the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee. Fantastic. Um, so I th for Nat Geo, it kind of had all the elements that they were looking for. There's a really great, but also really underrated um, national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National mm -hmm. Park. Mm -hmm. um, there's a really interesting arts and crafts scene there, um, which is all about Appalachian craft so they have a whole trail that you can go through and you can see kind of people who are making brooms in old cabins and using um, these kind of techniques that have been passed down from generation up wonderful and um, but then you also have which I also love equally you also have this really super kitschy side so you have Pigeon Forge and it's got a hotel um, that celebrates Christmas every single day of the year <laughs> oh God. I mean for the first three days that sounds wonderful for the next 362 that must be a bit odd right if you're working there it would yeah exactly right yeah if you're staying there it's awesome we went and stayed in the middle of summer once and um Father Christmas came and met us at, at breakfast like <laughs> that's brilliant utterly bizarre and they've got a kind of um fake Titanic there and it's just all of it is kind of slightly mind-boggling. Um, so I love those kind of three different elements and how they all kind of sit actually quite naturally together. Sorry, quite naturally? Quite naturally, I think the so. Titanic and Christmas and what was the other one? The kind of the, the handicrafts? Yes, yeah. It's, it's all within like a small area, you know? So you go kind of almost seamlessly from... Um, Christmas hotel and then you're around the corner and there's this kind of really rootsy authentic side of things wow but it all kind of worked Santa yeah. and the Titanic and brooms all fit together very very naturally Who, who'd have thought it and great hiking in the national oh even park. better yeah yeah <laughs> um so I went out there and I did this story and also kind of looked at how there's this idea with um, kind of mountain culture, Appalachian culture, how it's very, it's, it's another culture, you know, there's lots of other in with it, but actually how a lot of it feels very familiar um, to people from the UK. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the music that I was hearing really reminded me of my Irish stepmom's music that I listened to when I was growing up. Wonderful. Um, and yes, a lot of the I don't know, a lot of the cooking kind of reminded me of my Scottish granny. Like there were all these kind of um, touch points that felt strangely familiar. In, in and amongst Christmas and Santa and Titanic and that was absolutely wonderful. It was a brilliant combo. And I also got to stay on, um, this was for a different article that I was doing while I was out there at the same time. I got to stay on Dolly Parton's tour bus and sleep in her actual tiny bed, which was um, a dream come true because I'm a massive Dolly Parton fan. What was that like? That must have been positively magical. It was amazing, particularly for a Dolly Parton mega fan such as myself. Sure. Um, so they, I was the first journalist that they invited on board to try it out they had recently um started offering her tour bus they'd retired her tour bus because she's not touring anymore she wants to stay at home um and they so they parked it at the front of um the dollywood resort dream resort yeah. 
and they said that people for a very hefty fee but the fee does go towards her charity um, that people could stay for two nights on board the bus and they would have a whole Dolly Parton experience um, so that included her personal chef came on board and cooked <laughs> a ridiculously lavish I, I think it's maybe like eight courses <laughs> I could hardly move by the end of Phenomenal. it um, fantastic kind of southern um, meal and it was all the dishes that Dolly Parton loved and then you also got tickets to Dollywood, of course. And then they took you around the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in a hot pink Jeep. Um, <laughs> so it was, a whole, awesome. it was a whole Dolly experience that you got. But I think the most kind of incredible part of it was sleeping in Dolly Parton's really teeny tiny, because she is a very petite person, sure. sleeping in her tiny bed. Um, and waking up in the morning and you have um, a little table that pulls down and it's her prayer table where she put her bible on so she can read the bible in the morning um, and she also decorated like there's not an inch of the bus that hasn't been decorated um, with some kind of pink paint or sparkles it's it's just so dolly it's just got her personality stamped all over it so I love it fantastic fantastic so and uh, if I remember correctly, some of the money, you know, Dolly Parton's foundation, they actually made a hefty donation to the um, the COVID battle, right? The, to get the vaccines out to the world. So almost by definition, by riding in a hot pink Jeep around the world, you're beating, you're helping to beat COVID. Is that, <laughs> is that about right? In a roundabout way. In a yeah, very roundabout did. way. She put, um, she helped fund research and then also her charity the money also goes to um help send books to people to children who maybe couldn't afford it and that's not just in america it's also in canada and in the uk fantastic well wonderful wonderful lady very talented singer obviously and still doing some wonderful things for the well for all of humanity i think it's fair to say legend uh, absolute legend i think that is you get that that word gets used a hell of a lot nowadays but in the case of dolly parton i think it is absolutely true there you go folks zoe gotto the the writer who likes to spend a lot of time in the beds and bedrooms of famous american celebrities we'll be back after these messages i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda-approved weight loss medications like wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome back, folks. Uh, Zoe, obviously, you're uh, an American specialist, and you've been writing about America for, for Journey magazine. If you would, perhaps you could share, us how, uh, share with us how you got involved with, with Cav and Jordan and the magazine. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I sat opposite Cav at a dinner in America last year um, and we started discussing Journey magazine and something that he said about Journey magazine really stayed with me. He said, the writers love writing for Journey magazine because it offers them creative freedom. Mm, great. And I just remembered that sentence. Um, and then he got in touch and asked if I wanted to go out to Arizona to do this story. Um, and I'd kind of been toying with this idea that I want to kind of play with the idea of writing how America feels. So I feel like the minute you get to America, there's a very strong atmosphere. Like, you know, you're in America. It's got a certain swagger to yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think people like Jack Kerouac with On the Road um, or the folk songs of like Woody Guthrie, they really epitomize that feeling of America. Um, and it's something that I wanted to start kind of playing with a bit with my writing, trying to get that atmosphere across. Um, so that was what really appealed, actually, when Cav said, do you want to go to Arizona and write about it for Journey? I thought, yeah, actually, I would. I'd like to, um, I don't know, push the boundaries a bit more. Yeah. And, and more really writing. kind of, I guess, as you say, really look into this this. Swagger is actually the perfect word for it, Zoe. There is something about being in America. Tell us a little bit about the actual nuts and bolts of the story. What were you doing out in Arizona for us? So I was out there with Jordan Banks, one of the co-founders, also a photographer. Um, and it was really interesting, actually, because it's only one of a couple of times when I've been on the road with a photographer. Um, generally, what happens is that I will write the piece and then they'll send a photographer afterwards. Yeah, sure. Or let's be honest, quite often they don't send a photographer. It's um, it's just Box illustrated. Library. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was kind of a different way of working for me, and um, I really enjoyed it. It felt a lot more collaborative. Great. And Jordan and I could have kind of conversations on the ground about what was going to make the cut in the article and what wasn't. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting way of working, one that I'd be quite up for, for trying to replicate again. Um, and the story that we were doing was on meeting the makers in southern Arizona. Um, I thought that was also quite a nice take on it, because I think when people are thinking about arts and crafts, um, America isn't the first place that springs yeah, to mind. Fair point. Um, so I thought it was a, an interesting take on it. Um, so some of the things that we did was we went to the Sonoita Desert where they've got this unexpected wine growing region that's sprouting up. Um, we went and met a female master beer brewer and she was doing this collaboration that crossed borders between Arizona and Mexico. Mexico. So she was... Um, linking up with Mexican breweries there. I thought that was interesting. Um, we were also looking at the food scene and a chef who owns Barrio Bread and he's spearheaded this revival of local grains that had been grown there um, way back when. And he was bringing them back to the area and making this incredible bread that people were lining up for, you know, they line up around the block to get a loaf of this bread. It's like wow. a kind of local phenomenon. Um, 
And then mixed in with all of these kind of craft and culinary stories, there was also these Wild West curiosities. So we went to Tombstone, which is um, where the OK Corral shoot 'em up happened. And it's now this frontier town, which is kind of, it's almost like a, it's almost like a Disney set, oh, yeah. but it is authentically where the OK Corral happened. Um, so you have, it's super kitschy, but it's also authentic. And I like that. So you're walking around and you're thinking, what's a replica and what's the real deal? <laughs> I thought that's, kind of, that's really interesting. That's, you know, that's part of the fun of being there. Um, and we also found an amazing place in Bisbee called Erie Street. And it's a street that was um, completely frozen in time from the 50s. And um, it's got all of these kind of vintage cars and gas pumps and um, the shop fronts where as they would have been in the 50s. Um, and it's got a really amazing diner. Um, but there's kind of nothing really on this street. And it feels like, I think I mentioned in the article, it feels like something that Instagram influencers should be all over, but somehow <laughs> were not. They had not well, got the memo on Give this it one. six months. Give it six months. Yes. Wait till the article comes out. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so it was um, kind of completely deserted, but so like, aesthetically beautiful. Um, so Jordan got some great pictures there. And I just found it really fascinating because I'm really interested in mid-century culture that you would have this whole street that has been perfectly preserved, like a time warp. What, what happened out of interest? I mean, presumably, had people continued to live there and use it, it would have be, become modernised over the last 70 years, or have they actively tried to keep it as, as it was in the 50s? Well, at the end of the road is a big mining pit. Yeah. And um, so they had, to, they had to move the people out when they sure. were expanding the mine so that people did not, the houses didn't, and shops didn't fall into the mine. So it's just been sectioned off and preserved, and they moved... The businesses and the people further into town away from the mine um so just because of its location dangerously close to the mine that's the reason why it's been kind of sealed off and <laughs> so preserved. they moved the locals out and the tourists moved moved into the danger zone fantastic yeah. amazing story um, and folks obviously you can you can read zoe's uh, story that's actually the cover story for issue four of journey which is coming out in march do stay tuned thank you to all of our subscribers of course that magazine will be winging its way straight into your mailbox or post box let's be english for a minute it's straight into your post box and that's a story done by zoe who i'm speaking to at the moment and jordan banks who is a photographer and one of our founders hi jordan I think something that we always try to ask all of our writers, all of our photographers, all of our contributors in general on this podcast is advice that you might give to somebody if they're looking to become a travel writer or particularly maybe an American specialist travel writer, somebody starting out in the industry. What advice would you give to these people? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that I still think about when I'm writing a pitch is I put myself in the editor's shoes and I think about what can I offer that they don't already have Interesting. in their staff team. Um, so it could be thinking about somewhere that you have visited, you know, as a child, or is it somewhere that you have friends or family? What is it that you can bring to the table that perhaps their staff can't? Um, so sometimes I get sent trip invites for places like, would you like to come and spend a week in the Maldives? And 
of course I'd like to spend a week. Who wouldn't? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, but I can't really see kind of what I would add to the conversation because I'm not a specialist in the Maldives. Um, but whereas if I write a pitch and I'm saying something like, I've been visiting the Deep South for 22 years, I have seen with my own eyes, these are the kind of cultural changes that are happening at the moment it's kind of unlikely that they would have someone who would be able to bring that perspective to it. So I think playing on what your strengths are, the places that you know, or even I have a friend that moved um, from the UK and she moved to Joshua Tree in California. So I go out and visit her and I've been doing that for years. And I also have kind of, you know, some insider tips from her so I think being able to pitch these things where you can say, I've been visiting for a long time and I've got a kind of a way in in some way um, can really help, I think. Um, I also keep a library of magazines. And so when I'm pitching, I look through the magazines and I'm super tailored with my pitches. Um, so I suggest a section that it could be for or I may even suggest like a page and I really try and tweak my pitch to fit in with what they're looking for, um, which is time consuming, but I find you get the best results for it. Um, and I also try and plug in gaps. So I wrote a pitch recently where I had looked through a newspaper and it was a destination that I knew really well. I looked through a newspaper and looked at when they had last covered it and it was almost five years ago wow. then I looked at when they had covered it beforehand and there was a pattern where they covered this destination every five years and they hadn't for five years so oh, my point was I noticed you haven't covered um this place for five years a lot's changed since then this is what I'd do if there was a guide and a hyperlink to everything so they can just click through really easily um I think that's another tactic that you could use if you know a destination really well, you look up in the newspaper or magazine, see they haven't covered it. I would approach them and say, noticed you haven't covered this. I'm a specialist. This is what I'd do and give them a rundown of um, what's new and what's interesting there. I think these very tailored pitches are the ones that land. 100%. The ones that show you've done your research, right? You know what you're talking about, not only with the destination, but in terms of like the publishing pattern of the magazine or newspaper as well. Fantastic. Uh, talking of publications, I'll give you a little chance to talk about your book. Um, first book was Elvis Style, um, From Zoot Suits to Jumpsuits. It's always, always comes back to Elvis. Always comes back to Elvis, right? <laughs> um, and it was um, an exploration of Elvis's impact on our culture, I had basically been walking down the street and seeing loads of people where I thought you have been influenced by Elvis, but perhaps you don't know it. Interesting. You know? Um, so I could see that his influence was still alive and kicking. Um, so I wanted to show the impact that he's had on the way that we dress, on the way that we style our hair, um, his interiors. Um, and there's even a chapter on Elvis food. Fantastic. So, covered all the elements and my most recent book um was called vintage style inside the dapper world of retro enthusiasts and i was really interested in this idea of people who are living out of step with the times um, i'm quite interested in vintage fashion myself but i kind of dip my toe into it i'm not someone who's 
jumped all in but right. I'm really fascinated by the people who are um just completely living their lives in a in a different era so I found I tied it in with my travels that I was doing so I was in LA for a story and um I found via Instagram actually this couple who were really into the golden era of Hollywood so I went around there and went to their house and it was like she opened the door and it was like kind of stepping back into into the 1930s it was incredible and she looked like kind of Rita Hayworth it was <laughs> it was the real deal um so I found all of these and I did a lot of the people that I found were also in Palm Springs which is somewhere that loves vintage culture as well sure, so I went yeah. around and um whenever I was doing stories on a destination I would also um try and find out who the the vintage enthusiasts were and go and interview and photograph them uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Zoe. Perhaps as we start wending our way towards the end of our time together, you can tell people how they can find you online, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a website, which is just my name, Z-O-E-Y-G-O-T-O.com. And that's got a portfolio of my recent work. Um, controversially, I'm not on Twitter. <gasps> Scandal. Or, I know, or on Facebook. But, I do not um, blame you one bit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um but i am on instagram which is at zoe gotto writer um and there i upload um stories about my travels in the u.s and recent articles about the u.s fantastic folks you've been listening to zoe gotto a journalist and author covering travel and music thank you so much for your time today zoe appreciate it My pleasure thanks i thank you Folks, you've been listening to the Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in our industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you soon. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.